Well, like many of you know, we are in a series right now called Origins. We are studying our way through the book of Genesis. Let me just encourage you to continue reading through the book of Genesis on your own. Many of you have taken me up on the challenge and you've read through it. Others are kind of working with us, but keep reading. And here's why, because it's going to bless your life for one, but we're giving Genesis a, a thorough examination, but I can tell you, and I've been very open with you, we're not turning over every rock, okay? There's going to be things that we don't cover. You need to read it. It'll help fill in the gaps and uh, it'll bless your life. I, I promise you. So keep reading the book of Genesis. Now, where we left off last week, I told you that Abraham kind of turned into Braveheart. You know what I mean? He has this Braveheart moment at the end of chapter 14 where we see a side of Abraham we hadn't seen yet in our study where he turns into a warrior, really. You might recall that some armies had come through and, and conquered Sodom where Lot was living. He gets taken off as a prisoner of war. And when Abraham finds out about it, he rallies up 318 men and they go off and they whoop those guys and um, take back his nephew. And it's one of his, his shining moments, if, if you want to know my opinion. And as he's on his way back home with the people of Sodom and his nephew and his family, the king of Sodom comes out and confront him. And, and I'll just read you exactly what he said. He looks at this wicked king in the eye and he says, with a raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you'll never be able to say, I made Abram rich. Now, right here at the end of chapter 14, you have clearly, you have Abraham who has God as his number one, and he's determined to walk in step with God. And he's got his nephew here who's had a complete change of heart, and he's never going to go back to Sodom again. Well, not really. That didn't happen. We're going to catch up with Lot here in a few chapters, and where are we going to find Lot the next time we see him? Back in Sodom, unfortunately. But we'll get to his story here soon enough in a couple chapters. But at this moment, Abram, man, he is riding high. God is his number one. He's on top. He comes out on top physically because he just whooped these four armies in rescuing his, lot, his nephew. But Abraham comes out on top spiritually as well. It's, it's like he just looks his king. I'm going to put some words in his mouth. I'm going to paraphrase. But it's like he looks at this wicked king and he says, I want nothing from you. I want nothing to do with you. Uh, the Bible makes it very clear. If you go back a couple chapters to Genesis chapter 13, verse 13, it says that the people of Sodom were wicked and they were sinning greatly against God. Abraham knew this. He wanted nothing. He's like, I don't want to be affiliated with you. I don't want any of your goods, not even the smallest little piece of string to go home with me. In other words, this is Abraham saying, I want zero of your influence in my life. And I want there to be no confusion as to who I am aligned with. I am aligned with God. There is something, away, is there something about the way that chapter 14 ends that, that uh, speaks passionately into my heart. And I think it should speak passionately into your heart. And it says something very loud and clear. It should teach us something about holiness. And as Christians today, there are some things that we need to look at and say, that will have zero influence in my family. That will have, that is not coming home with me. I want nothing of that, not even the littlest of thing to be a part. I want there to be no confusion whatsoever. So he says, I will accept nothing that belongs to you. And there's something about that that charges me up. 
It speaks to holiness. It speaks to righteousness. And Abraham's living it here at the end of chapter 14. It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said to the church in the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, when he says this to the church, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Here at the end of chapter 14, there's a clear distinction between Abraham and the king of Sodom. And there should also be a clear distinction as us, as followers of Christ, and of those who right now are living in disobedience to God. It's like what Paul said to the church, do not be partners with them. Don't lock arms with the world. Don't, don't walk in step with the world. See yourself rather, when Paul teaches other places, to be an ambassador to the world, an ambassador for Christ. You are sent there on Christ's behalf to be his spokesman. You don't live in this land. Our citizenship is in heaven. See yourself that way. Don't walk in step with the world. Be an ambassador to it. And, and, and I just find something about Abraham here at the end of, of chapter 14 that speaks loudly to that. Now, that sets up us moving into chapter 15. As we move into chapter 15, God is going to once again repeat his original promise to Abraham once again. And, um, and he's going to tell him again that your descendants are going to be so many that you're not going to be able to count them. Now, the reason I say that God repeats the promise is because he already said it before. He said it uh, in, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 through 3, and he's saying it again here in chapter 15. But not only does he repeat himself, but he is going to, what I would say, amplify, uh, he's going to expound upon the original promise. He's going to give Abraham a few more details to really help him see what's going on. So here's the trajectory of timeline. Abraham comes home from rescuing his nephew Lot. He tells the king of Sodom to go jump in a lake. And then this is what happens next. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. After this, so after he rescues Lot, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And I wonder, why did God have to tell him that? And it's just a question that the text brings up. Why did God have to tell Abraham to not be afraid? Now, this is some speculation as we work our way through chapter 15. Some things will come out. But I wonder, why would God say that? It's complete speculation here. But I wonder... As Abraham is coming down and the adrenaline rush of battle is coming out of his system, I wonder if maybe Abram was sitting there at home going, I wonder if these four armies that I just whooped in order to rescue my nephew is going to regroup and come after me. I don't know. That seems logical to me. Maybe in the back of his mind he thought, that could happen. 
You know, maybe it had something to do with the fact that Abraham has a history. We've already studied through it. He has a history of making decisions completely based out of fear. Remember, when there was a famine in the land, what happened? He took off to Egypt because he was afraid. And then he went to Egypt and he was afraid again. And so he told Pharaoh, what about his wife? She's actually my sister. And that whole thing. And we saw how that turned out. He has a little bit of history of making decisions out of fear. Whatever prompted God to say what he did here at the first verse of chapter 15, he wants Abraham to take some courage. Don't be afraid. Take some courage. And, and, and God offers him these two realities, really, about why he needs to take courage. And these two realities are this. He says, Abram, I am your shield and I am your very great reward. God didn't want Abraham to worry about a future battle that may or may not come because either way, God said, look, I'm your shield. I've got you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm your shield and I'm your great reward. And I think it's interesting that he would say his great reward. Could there be maybe this idea in Abraham's mind is like, well, I took nothing from that battle. I could have had all this stuff and I just gave it back to the king of Sodom. And other than his nephew Lot, who ended up going back to Sodom anyway, Abraham didn't have anything to show for his effort. And maybe God is just letting him know just a little bit here that you don't need to regret losing all those spoils of war because what I'm gonna give you far exceeds any of that. You see, God promised to give Abraham and his descendants all of the land that he could see, what we would know today as the promised land. That is an incredible reward. Beyond that, God is telling Abraham that all of your descendants, they're going to come together and, and they're going to actually bring about such a blessing to the world. What's God talking about? He's talking about it would be Abraham's descendants that would bring us the Messiah, God's only son, through, the, to, through whom the whole human race would have the opportunity to be reconciled. So Abraham, listen to me. It's God's like saying, I am your shield. I am your great reward. And, and I want to tell you something today, church. God telling Abraham that back then should get each of us today some courage as well. Because the same God who said that to Abraham is the same God that we worship today. For every believer, God is also our protector and he is our provider. Same as Abraham. And that can be something that we can easily lose sight of these days, isn't it? That God is our protector and our provider. I know many of you these past few months have been confronted with this very reality that deals with your protection and your provisions. You do not need to raise your hands when I ask you this question. And in fact, I don't want you to raise your hands when I ask you this question. But how many of you have been put in a position recently uh, where your job was on the line if you made a certain to decision to do something or to not do something? Now, I know for our church family... Many of you have been confronted with that. And the reason I know that, I can say that with certainty, is because many of you have reached out to me to pray with you, to talk through your situation, to share your opinions, and, and to share with me your circumstances and your convictions. And I know that that right there and what's happening in our nation has caused quite a bit of anxiety and unrest in many families right here in our, in our church. I said this before COVID, and I really mean it now. These are strange days we're living in, okay? They've been strange for a while. And uh, regardless as to where you, you know, where you land when it comes to some of today's most heaviest discussion, uh, 
as Christians, we cannot lose sight of the reality that, that God is our provider, God is our protection, and the same God who said to Abraham, I'm your shield and your great reward is the same God who wants you to know I'm your protector and I'm your provider. Amen. Take courage. I always get a kick when I hear politicians talk, uh, especially when they're uh, running for office or they're in a re-election year. If you break down what uh, many politicians talk about, they really come down to two things. They talk about provisions and protection. I'm not knocking them, it's just a reality. They talk about provisions and they talk about protection. So a, a candidate may, may offer something to say, your vote for me is guaranteed to protect you from war. And I'm going to end violence on the street as if single-handedly he could do all that. And they make promises that I can help create the perfect job for you with the highest income you've ever had to provide for your family, to have the best health care you could ever have, the best education. They often talk about how single-handedly they can eliminate all of your worries and all of your fears, everything from unemployment to aging with grace and all of that stuff. And more times than not, these promises about protection and provisions are not promises that are fully kept. But when it comes to God, I'm telling you, only God can really offer provisions and protections, and our God keeps his promises. This is the reality that God wants Abraham to see here in Genesis chapter 15, when he says, I am your shield, and I am your great reward, and that is not just for Abraham, that is for us as well. Now, I think it would be foolish of us to think that in a, a, a room the size of this one with as many people in it today, that there isn't at least one person who walked in here consumed with fear and anxiety. And that could be about anything. Afraid of what comes next in your life or fearful of losing your job or fearful of finding a job. Worried about COVID and, or many other health issues. There are other illnesses out there besides COVID these days. And even right here in our family, many in our family, our, our church family, are dealing with some significantly heavy health diagnosis right now. Significantly heavy. Stressed about um, their children. Wondering if uh, the money runs out before the bills. And I want you to know the same God who said to Abram, I am your shield and your great reward is the same God that you have put your faith into. And we're going to discover in this chapter, chapter 15, that Abraham, we find out, is dealing with some significant worry and concern and fear about his future. He's having a hard time really wrapping his mind around this promise that God was going to actually come through for him. And, and honestly, that makes him a lot like you and me, doesn't it? If you've already read ahead and you know what happens next, then you absolutely know that God does indeed come through for Abraham, doesn't he? It's, it's, a, it's an incredible story. But what we also read is that there are seasons of great testing and great trial that Abraham has to go through to get to the point where God's vision fully becomes a realization in his life. And that's no different than us. We go through seasons of testing and trial. But God came through for him. And I'm telling you today, God will come through for you too. Even if you've got to go through some trials and testing, he is your provider. He is your protector. The same God of Abraham is our God too. I love what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 84, 
verse 11 through 12, when he says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Jesus said this after teaching people not to worry. He says in, in Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek him first. Follow after him. Whatever, whatever you may be dealing with today, whatever is driving the narrative of fear and anxiety in your life, be reminded of our great God who said to Abraham, I'm your shield and great reward is the same God you put your faith into. What we learn about in chapter 15 is that Abraham has significant fear and significant worry about not having children. God already told him back in Genesis 12 that Abraham is going to be the father of this incredible nation. But that was like a decade ago. You realize 10 years have passed since Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, and there's been no action. Abraham is now in his 80s, and he still has no kids, and he has already started to do all the paperwork of what is going to become of all of his stuff. You know, he's gone through the process many of you have done. It's just like, okay, this goes here, this goes here, and he's going... God's not coming through for me. He said this was going to happen. And now, if I were to die today, this is, this is how this is going to play out. Now, look at chapter two, or 15, verse 2. Let's read what happens. But Abraham said, so God says, don't be afraid. Have you know, you know, I'm your shield. I'm your provider. Great reward. And then he says this. But Abraham said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. This is how far down the road Abraham is thinking. I already know who's going to get it all. I already know who's going to inherit all this stuff. His name is Eliezer. I don't have any kids. Now there's a tone here that's hard to read exactly from the text, but just listen to what Abraham said. He said to God, you have given me no children. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm like, oh, careful, Abram. <laughs> careful how you talk to God. And, and honestly, this is actually a good warning to each of us here as well today. How do you pray? Do you pray in an accusatory sense? God, you didn't do this for me. Careful. How reverently are we talking to God when we pray? Does your prayers being accusatory, it feels a little accusatory. That's, a, that's not a road you want to walk down with God, I promise. But he said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Do you hear that? You haven't done this for me, and so this was going to happen. Then the, then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram, don't miss this verse, very important. We're gonna come back to it in just a second. Abram believed the Lord. Lock that away. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So, Abraham's got a problem. 
I'm in my 80s and I don't have any kids and God made this promise to me and he's not coming through for me and I already know that if I drop dead today, Eliezer is gonna get all my stuff. But what God will make it very clear to him and, and this is why he amplifies, he reminds him of the promise and I'm gonna tell you a little bit more about it. He makes it really crystal clear that this promise involves a real son. It's not a metaphor, it's not a figment, it's a real son born of Abram's own flesh and blood, and from this one son, the descendants that will come from him will be like the stars of the sky when you look up at them. You can't count the stars, and you won't be able to count the descendants. And so every ounce of logic inside of Abraham's mind is screaming this, what you're saying, God, is, is impossible. I'm too old. But what verse six tells us is that what he believed, his faith, it overrode his logic and he believed God's word. It doesn't make sense to me, God, but I'm still gonna choose to believe you. And it was that belief that credit was credited to him as, as righteousness. You know, if Abraham had to listen to anybody else other than God, they would have talked him out of God's ability to, to fulfill his promise. You realize that? If he had listened to his friends who have said something like, Abram, you've been talking about this promise for 10 years. Dude, you're in your 80s. It ain't gonna happen. Drop it. It's, not, it's just not gonna happen for you and Sarah. If he'd have listened to them, he might have walked away from God's promise. Somebody could have easily said, hey, Abram, come on, let's, let's face reality. Medically speaking, the window's closed. It's not gonna happen. But yet he just believed God. That's it. That's what we do. I just believe God. And that right there, that above everything else is why Abraham is remembered the way he is, is for his obedience and his great faith. He just believed in God. Now, verse six that we you know, read just a second ago where he believed God, that is the very first use in the Bible of this very important verb, believe. And we talk about believe all the time. We, you know, we, it's, it's part of our narrative here. We talk about it. It's all over the New Testament. But the very first time we talk about believing is right here in Genesis chapter 15, 6. It all comes back to this moment. Abraham's senses said, it ain't gonna happen. But he believed what God told him. And this really, friends, this is at the heart of the matter, not just for Abram back then, but this is the heart of the matter for us today as the church. What do you believe Abraham believed that God could make him a dad in his old age. And that belief was foundational to his righteousness. It had nothing to do with anything else that he'd ever done. It had nothing to do with the, him and the 318 men that went and whipped those four, four, four armies. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with him looking down the eyes of an evil king and telling him to go fly a kite. It has nothing to do with that. He believed what God said would come true, and that's why he was righteous in God's eyes. And I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that what God says will come true actually will come true? What do you believe? Do you believe that God's promises will come to be exactly like he says? What do you believe? Now, we've been talking about in this series some concepts that are hard for your friends to wrap their minds around. No doubt when we study through the beginning part of Genesis and we talk about how God created the world in six days, there are people in your circle that if they're being honest, and maybe they have, they're going to tell you, that's crazy, God didn't do that. We got people in your life that talk that way, don't you? 
We talk about Satan, how we're introduced to Satan in Genesis 3. And you've got people in your circle that would say, Satan's a figment of the imagination. He's an apparition. That's just what church-going people name for bad stuff. He's not a real person. We believe he is. There's people in your circle that say, that's not true. We talk about a worldwide flood that decimated the earth. And there's people that you know that would say, that's nonsense. Every, every uh, ancient civilization has some kind of flood story. This is just the Bible's version of it. That's crazy talk. There's no flood like that. You've got people in your circle that will say things contradictory to what we're studying. The Bible said, God didn't create. The earth evolved over billions of years. And here we are now. And there will be people that you know that are intelligent and people that have lots of initials pass their names and they teach and do other things and they'll say, you shouldn't believe that because that's crazy. But what I want to ask you today, as a Christian, who are you going to choose to believe? Are you going to choose to believe somebody who is uninformed or are you going to believe what God says? Like John three sixteen that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. What do you believe? Romans 3, 23 tells us that for all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. And that tells us that we are all sinners, and, and what it really communicates is we are all in great need of something. What do you believe? What do you believe? Romans 5, 8 tells us that God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What do you choose to believe? 1 Corinthians 15, 3. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures. What do you choose to believe? Abram believed, and that was the foundation of him being found righteous in God's eyes. He just believed what God told him. And the same is true for each and every one of us today. What you believe about Christ is the foundation of you being found righteous. That's that fancy church word of justification. Justified. I am made right. God looks at me and sees a righteous person. What you believe about Jesus serves as the foundation of your righteousness in God's eyes. And then there are people in our lives, there are atheists all over the place who would say, there is no way that a man named Jesus died on the cross and was put in a tomb and three days later raised to life. I'm not concerned about what they say. I'm concerned about what you believe. What do you believe? Do you believe others who say, there's no way that a dead man can come back to life? Or do you believe the Lord who said, take heart because I have overcome the world? What do you believe? Because believing what God says forms your faith. Your faith is what you believe. And I would pray there's not one person's room who cannot say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. What do you believe? Believing what God says forms your faith. It's foundational to you being found righteous in God's eyes. This is only possible 
Because of God's grace, he gave us a gift. That gift was his son, Jesus Christ. His son suffered and died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and to open up heaven's doors to anyone who would believe. There is no way that we could ever save ourselves. There is nothing that we could ever do that would make us good enough. This is all God and no one can ever say otherwise because they think they're just that good. We can only boast today in how great and loving and graceful our God is and the wonderful thing he has done for us through Jesus. And Abram was in the exact same boat as we are today. Abram had no other boast. He couldn't say, because I have great wealth, I've been found righteous. He couldn't say that. He couldn't say, because I conquered four armies, I've been found righteous. He couldn't say that at all. He could not say, because I stared down a wicked king, that I made not at all. Only because he believed that what God told him was the truth. In fact, if you were to go in the New Testament and read all of Romans chapter 4, it's all about this very thing that I'm talking about that Paul proposes an interesting question at the beginning of that chapter. He says, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, in other words, if Abram was made righteous because of all those things he did, then he'd have something to boast about. But not before God. What does the scripture say? Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Friends, here is what we have to nail down from Genesis chapter 15. Abraham believed God when he told him that in your old age, you are gonna have a real son. He is gonna be of your flesh and blood and, and, and his heirs will be more numerous than you could ever count. And Abraham believed him. And you know, no one ever gets saved because they make promises to God. Do you know that? Nobody gets saved because you make promises to God. God, I promise to be a good person. Somewhere we've all said that to God. I, I promise to be good from this point forward. I promise to never miss church. Boy, I'm thankful that my salvation is not riding on my church attendance. Some of you should be really thankful. And those of you watching online, you better be very thankful. I'm kidding. I'm glad you're here. And... Uh, I know a bunch of you are watching right now from all over the place, and I'm glad we have the technology to exist. You're going to squeak in by the hair of your chinny-chin-chin. No. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. God, I promise that every Saturday I'm going to go feed homeless people who've slept outside under a bridge all night. That, that, that promise won't make you righteous. God, I promise to foster and adopt kids. Wonderful thing. Doesn't make you righteous in God's eyes. God, I promise I'm never going to miss a tithe, ever. That does not make you righteous. Because we are not saved by making promises to God, but by rather believing the promises of God. And they're found, all of them, every last one of them, right in front of you, on your lap, in the Bible, and you're welcome to read them any time you want. In fact, why is all that stuff written down in the Bible? Why? Well, we learn in the New Testament, John chapter 20, verse 31 says, these are written that you may, your Bible that you have, why is it all written down? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, 
you may have life in his name. So God repeats this promise to Abraham and then he amplifies it. Here's what happens next. Look down at verse 13, would you? Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. Man, isn't that what we all really want? <laughs> I just want to live to an old person and go in peace to be buried. That's, that's my goal in life. Um, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. What is God relaying to Abraham here? This is where he reminds him of the promise and then he amplifies on it. God is basically telling Abraham, he's giving him just a little snapshot, a description, if you will, of what the next 600 years of his family tree is going to look like. He's telling him about what is going to fill up the entirety of the rest of the book of Genesis and all of the book of Exodus. He's giving him just a little snapshot. This is where all this is going, Abraham. And, and, and in your future, you're going to rest in peace with your ancestors. You're going to live a good on long life. What I'm talking about, you're not going to be around to see. But in the future, there's going to be a 400-year period of time where your descendants won't even be living in this land. And they're going to be abused and mistreated. What in the world is God talking about? Well, he's talking about the Israelites. He's talking about who would come from Abraham's family that we know as the Hebrews, the Jews, the Israelites. It's all the same group of people. And he is talking specifically about those 400 years where they will be slaves and they will be abused in Egypt. They're going to be mistreated terribly there. This is what God is talking about. He's talking about that day when he will speak to Moses through a burning bush and Moses will travel to Egypt and he will look Pharaoh in the eye and he says, let my people go. And he won't want to do it. And then God will pound the Egyptians with plague after plague after plague until they finally relent and the Israelites leave with great possession. And they're going to travel back eventually to the promised land. That is what God is talking about. So, Abraham, do not be afraid. I am your shield. I am your great reward. And you know what? You don't be afraid either, friends. Not at all. Your God is your protector and your provider. If you believe what God says, then every last one of us knows how our story ends too. True, God gave Abraham a peek into the future, a little description of what the next few hundred years of his family is going to look like. And he was reassuring him in doing so that I've got all this under control. It's all going according to plan. I'm your shield. I'm your great reward. And he has done the exact same thing for you and me. He's given us a peek into our future. Every last one of us. And he's given us a few details about what is coming to be. And in doing so, he's reassuring us that he's got the entirety of the plan of our lives under control. That little snapshot is found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Listen to this. 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. He's talking about the second coming of Jesus. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare since everything will be destroyed in this way. Do you believe him? What do you believe? Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, and only people who believe God's words look forward to anything like this. Since you look forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Friends, it all comes down to this. What do you believe? Do you believe that what God says will come to be or not? That's the heart of the matter. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord, I just thank you for your holy word. I thank you, Lord, for what it teaches us. I pray, Lord, you continue to help us grow and learn and become more like you. But Lord, as we close here today, I wanna pray for anybody in this room that walked in here today afraid, afraid of the unknown, afraid of what comes next, unsure of what's going on in the family, not quite sure that you know everything that's happening, Lord. I pray that your holy word from Genesis today will speak some courage into our lives that, Lord, you are my provider and you are my protector. You are my shield and my great reward. You're the same God of Abraham. You know my name. You know where I live. You know everything about me, God. I choose to believe you. And that's it. Lord, I know there'll be trials, there's tribulations of our lives, but I trust, God, that you have the end of my story in mind. And like you came through for Abraham, I know, Lord, you'll come through for me. I believe that what you say is true. Lord, help us in our faith. And Lord, I pray you help some in their unbelief. Lord, this day forward will be a marker in their lives. And from this day forward, I choose to just believe God's word. It doesn't have to make sense completely. I choose to believe. Lord, I pray you continue to make and mold our church family into those kind of people, believers, unashamed, follow you in righteousness. Lord, that's our prayer. Help us with this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.